Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. It's always really funny to me how things just kind of fall into place. And you know that saying, everything happens for a reason. And as a mom, if you say that to me, I want to punch you in the face. So please don't say that to other moms or anybody for that matter. But I'm going to say it. Sometimes things just happen to happen for a reason. In today's story, you meet Michelle. And she talks to all of us about this amazing school in Washington State that her daughter was attending as a neurotypical student. Her son then followed in their footsteps and attended as a student too when he was old enough. And they then found out that her son has autism. He was in the right place at the right time. And I'm going to say it again, but maybe everything happened for a reason. And I don't know. Lemons, lemonade. I don't really know. Guys, meet Michelle. She is a wonderful human being. There are a few editing glitches in this episode because her cat, Potato, kept jumping onto her computer. So like, it was fun. It was so nice to meet her. And I'm so excited for you to hear her story. Welcome, Michelle. Welcome, Michelle, to the, uh, I almost said the 4AM Mom Club. This is not 4AM, but we, we may go there afterwards. Welcome to When Autumn Comes. Michelle is a mom that we met through the podcast world, so she knows how to use a microphone. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, I normally use the same one you're using, but it's not at my house. So, um, hello. Thanks for having me. Before we dig in, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, so I am 42 and I live in Seattle and I have two kids. Uh, My daughter Lila is 11 and my son Kellen is seven. He'll be eight in May. My ex and I split about three years ago, three and a half years ago. And we have been co-parenting, fortunately, very well, amicably since then. Um, And so I've gotten the benefit of some time off which is cool um so I get uh I you know you guys know I just had a massage last night which was wonderful um I don't recommend divorce but if you can figure out 50-50 custody I think you're good (laughs) you get massages with part of the divorce is what you're saying (laughs) I mean I still have to pay for them but yeah right 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 right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so yeah my um my daughter is in sixth grade and quirky as 
hell and she's um she's awesome and very kind of introverted and shy uh really smart um and my son is second grade and he is hilarious and um a pain in my butt and uh he has autism and we found that out when he was just two okay yeah okay so can you tell us about we usually dive into like diagnosis on some, mm-hmm. but your diagnosis is really special the way yeah. it happened and you figured this out. Yeah. So my daughter was actually at a preschool um, called the Experimental Education Unit. That's part of, um, it's it's sort of this weird conglomeration at the University of Washington. It's part of the College of Education and part of the Center for Human Development and Disability and it is a birth through kindergarten program that is completely inclusive. So they work on cognitive, motor, communication, social skills for kids of all abilities. And so every class is half typically developing and half not. It's been around since the late 60s. And it's, it's actually, it's an incredible place. It's where they literally figured out that kids with Down syndrome can learn at all. So awesome. um, yeah, that and that they, so cool. that they might benefit from, you know, access to education and I mean, like, with it. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard to believe that in the last 50 years mm-hmm. that there was a thought of these kids can't learn. Yeah. Yeah. And 50 years ago, there was no uh, legal guarantee for education for kids with disabilities. Yeah. So this, this school is the first place that changed that. Honestly, they are, they were the first um, inclusive preschool in the country and they worked to get the laws, at least in Washington state changed to guarantee education for all. Um, So a good friend of mine had taught there for years and then was um, at that point, part of what they call the applied research unit where they're, you know, learning more and developing um, clinical uh, services and um, professional development and outreach to try to help other places do this too. And so she's like, this school's amazing. You have to come check it out. Um, when for I was your pregnant. daughter, right? For my okay. daughter. Yeah. yeah. When I was first pregnant. And so when Lila was, I don't know, eight months old, we went and just visited and immediately I was like, yeah, get me on the list. And so as a typically developing kid, she was on the wait list for, I want to say 15 months, 14 months. It was a long time to get wow. in. Which mm-hmm. I love because yeah. that means that there are typically developing yes. children whose parents are like, get my child integrated with, yes. you know. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So she started just before her second birthday in their, um, it's called the Infant Toddler Playgroup Program, ITP. And she was in that program for a year. Let's see if I can get this right. A year. Yep. And then two years in their preschool there. And technically, those are different programs under one roof. They have a birth through three, a preschool, and a kindergarten. And that's unfortunately it. They don't go beyond that. And how did you feel as a mom of a typical kid experiencing this? Incredible. It was so um, eye-opening because I hadn't really spent much time around kids with developmental disabilities before that. And were these kids developmental and physical? Some, some had physical, it's more developmental. Um, they, yeah, they focus more on, on that there, but the community that, that is 
that surrounds that place is just amazing. And the family support aspects of the school for all families Mm -hmm. is incredible. And they, they just, I've never met people who care so much. Well, and I was going to say, so like, were you then connected and becoming part of a village for Mm -hmm. moms who had autistic children and everything? Like you were becoming their village that now we have as special needs moms. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I started, um, I think it was, um, Oh God, or my second year there, I was co-chairing their parent council and I did that for a year as a co-chair and then a year by myself and then two years as a co-chair again. So I was, you know, I became pretty Mm -hmm. integrated into the community there. Um, I wasn't, uh, we owned our own business. Um, so I had a lot of leeway in terms of flexibility with time. So when my son was born, it was just a given that he would go there and, he started when he was probably 16 months old um, in that infant toddler play group. And he started as, you know, typically developing. He was just a toddler ready to play, you know, and it was there that a couple months before his second birthday, his teacher said to me, you know, we're seeing some differences in his communication. Like it seems like he's not communicating as directly with us as he was before. So there were some regressions happening and, so we all just kind of kept an eye on it. I talked to his doctor at his second, you know, his two year well child check. And, um, and she, you know, she was like, well, like, do you trust these people to make that kind of claim? And I said, well, it's the EEU. And she was like, oh, well, in that case, because mm-hmm. they know around here, they know. And a couple months after his second birthday, my good friend who got me interested in the school in the first place pulled me into her office and, shaking and near tears told me we've got some real concerns and we think that he's on the spectrum and I have set up an appointment for you almost immediately with a psychologist and take him in. She's going to check him out and we'll get a, get this taken care of as quick as possible. So we were really lucky to be in the place that we were, you know, he, um, he's always been kind of cog- cognitively advanced but then some of these other things that started showing up. So can I ask yeah. you, was it comforting hearing from your acquaintances or maybe at this point, close friends, um, a diagnosis or were you like, no, no, that no, no. It was really comforting. Yeah. And I think she was terrified clearly to tell me because I think that that could really change a relationship for some people. I've always kind of been the person that when faced with something, I, you know, give myself some amount of time to, break down and completely lose my shit. And then, okay, what do we got to do? Right. And I think a lot of, a lot of special need moms can, can relate to that. Um, mm-hmm. cause there just isn't time to, to not do anything. So mm-hmm. I personally found it really comforting that it was her that delivered yeah. that to me also because she has a daughter who's the same age and they had been, you know, they're friends and they've been in these groups together. And so she, she really had gotten an opportunity not only to watch him as um, an educator and a researcher, but as a fellow parent, you know, watching her own kid develop. So it, yeah, it was very, very comforting for me. Was hearing the diagnosis just as maybe devastating? Uh, you know, by the time we got to the diagnosis, which really was only a month later, I had kind of already gone through the like, I'm going to break down. 
Um, it was when she first told me that first day and I, I just spent the next day sobbing Mm -hmm. and then I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm putting blinders on or in denial or just really focused on it or what, but I, I thought, okay, what do we need to do? And, Mm -hmm. and having that diagnosis makes it easier to do the things that we need to do. So for me, it was, um, it was a good thing. And I think too, having the official diagnosis, especially with autism, Mm -hmm. gets you more services and gets you more help in general. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I don't know how it is in other states, but here in Washington, there was a big lawsuit um, six years ago, maybe, because insurance companies didn't want to pay for for behavioral therapy and, and all those things that these kids really benefit from. So now what they do is they're like, okay, well, we have these three approved clinics. And so there's these huge wait lists and it's crap, mm-hmm. but it's getting better. And um, the services that are available are more widely spread and paid for, which is wonderful because it's not cheap. And, yeah. it's, and it's daily. I mean, you know, Kellen's been in behavioral therapy, the ABA, for um, a year and a half at his current clinic. He's there four or five times a week. Or, well, right now we have one therapist that comes to the house. But, I mean, if you have to pay out of pocket for that many appointments, yeah, you can, I mean, it's untenable. You can't. Yeah. That's so sad. So how was it in the school? Like, how did you transition from, I'm a mom of a typical kid in the school, and now all of a sudden, did he change classrooms? Did he change? So nothing changed for him. Nothing changed. That's the beauty of that place is that every single classroom is already Mm -hmm. completely integrated and inclusive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I remember sitting at the train table in the lobby, you know, while he was playing after class like later that week when she had first brought it up to me and thinking like, okay, we need to go. But if I, you know, take him away from this right now, he's going to, he's going to cry. He's going to be so unhappy and like, oh no, what do I do now that I know that something's different? And I sat there kind of battling myself for a few minutes. And then I was like, wait a minute, I do the same damn thing I did yesterday. I pick Mm -hmm. him up, we go, he cries. It's fine. Like nothing's actually changed. It's just my mind has to get around this, but mm-hmm. he's the same kid. And yeah. so. I, I seriously, I've never put that into words. Yeah. I struggle with that all the time. Yeah, it's hard. Like even four years later, it's like, oh, right. no, you are her mother. Like, right. Do what you do every other day. Don't right. think about that doctor that just said X, Y, Z to you and bring it to tomorrow. Like she's still here and still constant the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think that was a really, it was a good thing that I realized that as quickly as I did. And of course, it still comes up for me. Um, but I've, I've just kind of gotten to the, I have to do what I have to do. He's going to react how he's going to react. And, you know, sometimes he's going to get upset and that's okay. The other day, my um, good friend was watching him for me for a little bit. And she went to go take the um, virtual reality set away Mm -hmm. from him, which I think he's like six years too young to actually play with, but whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She texted me and she's like, well, uh, he's going to call the police on me because I took it away and he's real mad. Um, I was like, Oh crap. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, he's got the iPad and he's fine. So I'm just, whatever. Like he's going to get mad. (laughs) We've been told from other moms, 
it's called the autism spectrum for a reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where on the spectrum does he fall? Is he very severe? Is he ver- uh, he's verbal, I take it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he'd be able to call the police if he couldn't talk. <laughs> but, um, fortunately, he doesn't have his own phone. So first of all, something that I learned a couple of years ago that really helped me get my head around the whole thing is that it's not a linear spectrum. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, you're low functioning or you're high functioning and somewhere in between. It's really a sphere. There are so many different areas of ability and development and someone who might be extremely excelled in, you know, fine motor skills might be cognitively behind or vice versa. I mean, there's just so many things, social and behavioral, and they're, they're all just so unique. He, he is so smart and he's so funny. Um, He taught himself to read with the help of super Y and leapfrog when he was maybe two. Um, and I was like, Oh God, what am I going to do with this kid? I don't, I don't know how to. <laughs> He's like, going to be schooling me in a minute. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But behaviorally and socially, he's very social. I should say he loves a party. He's not the typical, like aloof student. That's not even fair to say typical, but I think that the idea that people typically have of people on a spectrum is that they um, are not socially interactive, that they won't look you in the eye, that they, you know, don't want to be around people and hubbub and whatever. And he's not that at all. He just is very, um, he's very set in his like, I want to do this thing over here. And I don't want to do the thing you're talking about. So I'm going to do this and never going to. So school has been real fun this year. <laughs> remotely. Are you virtual um, schooling? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Since, I mean, it's been almost a full year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's brutal. I, mean, I might as well have taken a gap year. It's not, <laughs> it's not working well, but he just is, I don't even know. He's his own little person. He, well, he's huge actually. So people, his own huge person, him. his own huge person. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like after hearing a few moms describe their children with ASD, I want to know more about how, and I don't even know if I would want it to be a physician or maybe a mom, mm-hmm. like what, what is it in them? Because it's not, they, they're different or they think different because they're them. They think the way they think, but right. like, what's another way to say you're trying to put this, you know, circle into a square box. Like right. how do we as a society start to understand these children? And as a mom, like, what do we say to them? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think to, because I'm starting to have to na- like help people navigate like, oh, Selah, when she looks at you like this, she's really happy. Or mm-hmm. when she talks like this, she's upset or whatever it might be. And maybe it just comes down to like, we as moms need to be open enough to say, will you ask me so I can tell you? Because I want you to understand these kids. Right. Yeah. I think, I wish I had recorded myself. There was a time, a, a first grader, I think at the time asked me, or had been asking his mom what autism is. And she had tried to describe it to him. And she had talked about the social kind of difficulties. And he said, but, but Kellen's really social. And he's like, I mean, he was really little at the time. But Mm -hmm. and so he asked me directly. And yeah, I can't remember exactly what I told this little boy who just wanted to understand but it was something along the lines of, you know, they, they just, it's the, the following, the adhering to kind of the social norms that they don't necessarily understand 
um, we all have these things that we just know because it's the way that things are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them make no sense at all. Um, it's like idioms. Like you say, it's raining cats and dogs. Well, absolutely no, it's not. And so that doesn't make any sense to somebody who might take things a little more literally. But the idea that there's all these things that we understand because they're just part of the world that we have lived in and they might not actually make any sense. Those are things that aren't going to make sense really at all to somebody who's going to take things more literally and not understand, you know, why someone might turn their back when you're talking to them. They need to be taught that can be a sign of someone's not interested in what you're saying or you've offended them or whatever it is. Like they literally have to be taught how to engage and understand those social things that we take for granted. So, so I, I watched a video that you sent me or I watched half of it. (laughs) You don't follow social norms. I mean, you got married (laughs) (laughs) from the parts of the video I watched, you met, you, opened a business, you did everything. Like, Mm -hmm. do you think with your personality and do you think that that's helped you understand your son at all? That like you don't necessarily follow the rules either. Yeah, maybe. I'd never really thought of it that way. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. We, we just sort of did everything a little backwards and however it worked for you. Yeah. And um. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm the right person to be his mom. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Yeah. You're like, Oh no, I need to talk to my therapist. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing I see her on Monday. (laughs) We're going to take a quick timeout. And before you click fast forward, thinking that this is the same ad you've heard over and over and over again, let me just tell you, it's not, I have something new to tell you. We have the 4AM Mom Club. I know, I know, I told you it was something new, but it is. Hang on. We have something also called the When Autumn Comes Society. The 4AM Mom Club is still open and still available to support medical and special needs moms who are going through uh, life. But we have the When Autumn Comes Society. It is now on Facebook, and that is a place for moms, dads, friends, caregivers, uh, nurses, grandmas, I don't know, doctors, anybody, anybody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm taking anybody and everybody, guys, anybody and everybody, because we love you all and you guys love us. So join us on Facebook at the When Autumn Comes Society. I feel like we, you know, maybe over exaggerated with the word society, but hey, we got class. Join us there. We talk about things that make us hopeful and hopefully just life. If you are a medical and special needs mom, though, we still have the 4AM Mom Club for extra support with moms who get it. See you there. What do you feel like the most heartwarming thing when you go into this school and you see these kids just there all together? Yeah. And as parents, we or adults maybe just because of the world we grew up in we didn't have that inclusion we didn't see you know some kids turn their backs because Mm -hmm. that's just how they respond and some kids don't and like I find myself with my neurotypical kids just like driving it into them like you process this way you process this way 
you right. both love each other because that's who you are and you figure mm-hmm. out how to work together. But what do you see with that inclusion in that school that's like really exciting to you? I wish I could still walk into that school. Uh, we graduated out of there two years ago and I'm sad every day. Um, but the environment there is like, I hate the word normal, but everything's just so normal. Like the kids don't know any different. They just are friends and it's beautiful. It's, I think that we talk a lot about these places as, you know, inclusion being so beneficial for the kids who do have disabilities or delays and it gets kind of overlooked how beneficial it is for neurotypical kids and just learning compassion and understanding and patience and learning to see past your own stuff. Like a lot of adults could learn that lesson. Like you're not the center of the universe. Other people have different things going on and everyone's experience is valid and should be taken into consideration. And so the lessons that the typical kids get from that place is amazing. When my daughter went to kindergarten, she we switched her into her current school for kindergarten. And that first year, the kids all vote on their classmates like for, it's a called the um, Seymour Kaplan Award. And it's basically like, vote for who you think you can really count on, who would stand up for you, who makes you feel, I don't think they use the word included, but really that's the gist of it. And, and her classmates voted that, voted her the winner of that, that year in her class. And it's really amazing to see a place where those stigmas don't exist. And it's helping kids. It's shaping their take on the world. Right. And making them better people from day one. Yeah. We've done a couple uh, interviews recently, one of a sister and then one of a mother, and they both talk about how growing up around the community, number one, like we all have disabilities. We just cover ours up. Mm -hmm. And then the other one said that she feels more comfortable with peers that have disabilities than without because she's like, they're just there. And I think when I watch my kids integrate with their sister or in a school with, you know, neurotypical and non-typical children, it is beautiful because they're just there. They get so much more of a worldly vision. They can Mm -hmm. adapt themselves a little bit easier to these children and vice versa. And I just think it's like the most beautiful thing. And to your point of, I think it's almost more beneficial for the typical kids to have that integration and it's more powerful Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. I think it's really powerful for these kids to feel included and to feel like they have friends and get invited to birthday parties, but just for the world, for empathy and compassion, it is so powerful to have these typical children adapting themselves mm-hmm. to these other children. And yeah. why, I mean, was it just our generation, just how we were in school? And I mean, I remember the special needs kids went to their own classroom and we yep. went to our own classroom and you'd walk past and you'd see drool and you'd see stuff. And it was just like, keep going. Don't focus on that. Right. I remember honest confession here. I remember being in the hospital right before we had Lorelai and them telling me that she, they thought she had something called Dandy Walker, which she doesn't. She has something worse. Um, but, you know, I remember laying in that hospital bed going, I don't want a special need. I don't want a handicapped child. Mm-hmm. And it hurts to your core to say that now because 
it's such a beautiful community. But the way we were all brought up, it was scary. And it was something you didn't talk about. And it was Mm -hmm. something that if you saw a child or an adult with something different, I feel like my mom never said, don't talk about that. But it wasn't something we talked about. Right. Yeah. I think that from what you were saying, Diane, it's just a much more honest experience Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. have all of all of them in one place and, you know, learning from each other that way. And Susan, that's exactly um, how my ex felt. And in that video, you watched the speech he gave um, at that at the EU auction that year, he fully admitted to the entire room of 600 people that he had a lot of those kind of internalized um, judgments, stigmas, etc. of of people with disabilities. And he, he thought that by, you know, looking or saying anything, he would make it worse rather than make them feel included. And so, you know, like you said, we grew up in this world where we just sort of looked the other way and they were completely excluded and ostracized. And I mean, that's not good for anybody. So he has since told me that he knows that he was wrong in the beginning because he was so attached to the idea of those stigmas and the judgments around autism that he didn't want anyone to know when we first got the diagnosis and he couldn't quite accept it. And so he thought that the way that he had felt his whole life about people who were different Mm-hmm. that other people would then treat Kellen that way and, and have those judgments and um, that he would be excluded from the world. And he just couldn't reconcile it all. Um, he didn't want our friends to know. He didn't want me to talk about it. Um, I don't exist that way in the world. So I did with people close to me. But for quite a while, you know, we'd see friends who were good friends, but we didn't see them that often. And they'd you know, oh, how are you? And I would just have to lie because my entire world was this thing that was going on. And I, what am I supposed to say? Like, okay, I'm fine. Like, I can't elaborate on anything because then I'm just lying straight up. Yeah. Like I'm, well, let's see, I went on vacation and no, I didn't do anything. I did this big thing that I'm not supposed to talk about. So, Mm -hmm. so that was really hard for me and really isolating. And finally, I just said, screw this. I'm not, I'm not not talking anymore. And it's hard because you said you were the person who like you took the diagnosis, you Mm -hmm. cried for 24 hours, and then you wanted to get shit done. Yep. And you can't get shit done if you can't tell people about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I kind of went along with it to some degree for a while. And like I said, I did talk to my close friends and family and everything. But I mean, I think the more that we can talk about all of this stuff, the more we can normalize it and the more comfortable people will get with it. If we continue this pattern of hiding people away, hiding diagnoses away, then we don't learn anything. Nobody learns that empathy and that, you know, builds that compassion. So, so screw it. No, I'm not doing that anymore. So I just started being really open about it because I'm not ashamed. And, and to his credit, he's not at all now either. Um, he's really come a long way, but it took some time. It's a grieving process too, because Mm -hmm. you're grieving the son you thought you were going to have. Right. That's a reoccurring theme in all of the episodes is that we all go through grief trying to figure out this is where we are. This isn't where I thought I was going to be. 
Right. Do you guys know the poem, Welcome to Holland? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because I heard you guys talking about this idea and I immediately thought of that. So mm-hmm. just, I mean, it, it is, it's a completely different journey than we thought we'd be on. Doesn't make it any better or worse. It's just different. It's just different. Yeah. I think too, something that's super interesting, listening to you speak about, you know, more of a disability, if you will, that's unseen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were certainly things about Sela that I, I had to get thrown into. I didn't really want to bring her in her wheelchair places, but right. to a certain at a certain period, I couldn't actually physically carry her for an hour by myself. And that was hard and hard to swallow, but I don't think I put so much thought into it because I didn't really have a choice. But I will say like some of her quirky, if you will, tendencies, you know, like the way she laughs obnoxiously and, you know, she like moves her hands and, um, you know, like will look certain ways. Those things I remember talking to Susan being like, that's not going to be cute when she's three and four. Like right now people are like, oh, she's so adorable and a baby. And you go from this, or I did where I was like, stay this way. So people won't look at you differently. Mm -hmm. And I guess I can kind of see how people may have a hard time specifically with more of the disabilities that you can't see coming to terms with like, I have to make a conscious choice to share this with the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, Yeah. And with Kellen, he's always been so huge that the expectations people have of him um, have never really lined up with his age or capabilities anyway, even if he was completely neurotypical. He's gigantic. He outweighs my daughter, who's four years older than him, by at least 35 pounds. It's insane. He's a big kid. So... um, I, I remember at his two-year doctor appointment, she said, you're going to start to encounter on the playground people who expect more from him than he is capable of because, mm-hmm. and at that point he wasn't diagnosed. It was just because he's big and he's only two. He's not going to behave like the four-year-old they think he is. Um, and now he's fortunately very verbal and can for the most part, advocate for himself and what he needs and what he wants, often in a very demanding way, uh, rather than, you know, asking nicely, like most kids, I guess. But um, (laughs) I don't know. And I've I've felt it from, um, I've felt it from everyone. I felt it from people that know him and know us. And I felt it from strangers. And I think that they see, you know, even if they know he's only seven, they see this seven-year-old boy, they see this large kid and they expect a certain kind of behavior and going along with those social norms that we've talked about. And even just, you know, being polite, Mm -hmm. just stuff like that, like that he is capable of, if you kind of, you kind of got to talk him through it and remind him, prepping him for these things. Like if, as an example, my parents would come over and I think that they had a hard time understanding for a while, like why he wouldn't just stop looking at the iPad to say hello and talk to them for a few minutes before he'd then continue. And it, like mm-hmm. to them, I think it seemed rude. Whereas you have to really tell him what's expected kind of each time. He's not going to necessarily remember like, oh, right. Okay. When they walk in the door, 
I got to put this down. I got to focus on them for five minutes and then I can continue. Like you got to say, okay, so they're going to come in and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to say hi. And we're going to say, how was your day? And we're going to, there's just so much behavioral training. Mm -hmm. And because it's this invisible ailment, you know, people don't, don't remember even if they already know. And how does it make you feel having to do the training for the invisible? It has to be exhausting. It can be. Yeah. I mean, the last year has been so exhausting in different ways that I haven't had to do a whole lot of that. So I'm thanks COVID trying to, I know, right. (laughs) Trying to remember, but, um, yeah, it's, is it stressful? It is. It can be. I, I think that I handle it pretty well most of the time. And then every once in a while, I'm just like, this is so much. And I don't, and he's not like, I hate to think of it in terms of better or worse, but like, he could be so much worse. He could be so much harder. He could be, we have it pretty easy um, with him because he is, he's good tempered and communicative and, you know, but I do find myself like, you know, you break down every now and then and you're just like, oh my God, it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. just a lot. The constant, this is how we have to do things. Oh my God, I'm going to tell you again. Yeah, it's tiring. And you had written to us before and you said that sometimes you struggle to claim the stress and this anxiety mm-hmm. and everything because he's not quote unquote that bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been interesting for me. And that's kind of my journey through this um, is to, I think we all do this, but like figure out where the blessings are and be appreciative of them and still allow yourself to feel the harder feelings about the fact that you have to do this at all. Right. You know, I have friends whose, whose kids are much more severely impacted and it's, um, it's always kind of felt to me like I don't really get to quote, complain. And, and that's, I'm doing that to myself. Nobody's doing that to me, but it's real. It's, it's in there. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I don't not deserve, that's not right, but just that I don't get to say things are hard when so many people have it so much harder. Mm-hmm. I think we can all say that. And I think that that's kind of how we try to check ourselves, at least speaking for myself, you know, there's always people who are better and there's always people who are worse. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes I tell myself like, get through today. Don't complain because it could be worse. Where I'm at right now, I'm struggling because my daughter, both my kids have a progressive disease and my daughter is getting worse. And I'm thinking back to where we were two years ago and how I complained then. And Mm -hmm. it was quote unquote easy then, which would not be easy compared to other people's struggles. But, you know, this is all... I think it's all relative to what you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like it proves that this world needs to be reborn as a world of compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. along with perspective, because that's the only way when I hear you talking about your kids in school and I hear you talking about people that come to your house, we need to step back and have patience because everybody is going through shit and it doesn't matter how bad or good. Like even in the special needs community, the competition, maybe that's not the right word, but how we compare ourselves to like, Mm -hmm. oh, they don't even get it because they don't know. Mm -hmm. 
they'll never have any idea or I am not worthy to be a part of something like this because we're not that bad. Like everybody needs to step back and have this more objective perspective of like, let's start with some patience, number one, and then compassion. And let's just be open to learning about everybody, their stories and their struggles. And I mean, thank you for speaking to that. I've never actually heard it put into words, like claiming the, I can't feel this way because it's not that bad in the way that you did. And I think that, I mean, I know that I felt it, but I think so many people are going to feel it like, yeah, I totally do feel that way. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I'd, uh, really been able to articulate until recently either. I think we all just get so stuck in our, you know, we're doing what we got to do to get through the day and, especially now, like we said, um, that it's a little bit freeing almost to, to think about it that way. Um, because it, I don't know, I'm big on, you know, name the problem, confront it, try to send it off into the world (laughs) without Mm -hmm. me. So um, thank you therapy for that. (laughs) (laughs) I need that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's been my biggest self-care over the last year plus has been therapy. Everyone should do it. (laughs) We wanted to quickly touch on you are single momming it Mm -hmm. and bravo to you because (laughs) I am, as you can see, have not brushed my hair in about 14 days. And (laughs) how was that transition for you? You said you're doing a great job at co-parenting together, which I think is huge. Props. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, when we were all here under one roof, I did the bulk of the day-to-day parenting. And so for me, going from that to 50-50 was actually stepping back a little bit, which was hard to do to kind of give up some of that control, but also, you know, gave me some of my own time back. And I didn't know what to do with it at first at all. And I, you know, would fill my time as much as possible. So I didn't have to be here in a empty, quiet house Mm -hmm. alone. For me, it's a lot easier to be on 100% of the time when they're here and then get that break. And I feel like I can be better for them when they are here because of it. Um, And I realize that that's a big luxury to have for anyone but especially in a situation with, you know, kids with special needs. So I'm, I consider, you know, our situation, like we're all really lucky that, that it's worked as well as it has and that uh, their dad has really stepped up. And, you know, we've also during, he lives really close by. Um, I keep pointing that way. Like you guys know <laughs> what's happening. He lives that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, during during this remote school bullshit, we've um, split the weekdays almost Mm. the entire time so that each of us can like get some work done in the other half of the day. Uh, Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's so hard to, it's hard to describe my life because it's just my life, you know, like Mm -hmm. it just is. um, But I feel really, I feel really fortunate. And it probably helps your kids too, just having you guys on the same page and doing this together. That has to take a level of stress off too. Yeah. I think that, um, I mean, it's never going to be easy to split up. You know, kids are never going to actually, Kellen was fine with it. (laughs) He was four and he was like, Ooh, a new house to destroy. Cool. (laughs) Now I have two of them. Um, so he didn't really have much of an issue. My daughter was 
eight and it was a little harder for her, but it's been, I think as good as it can be mm-hmm. because we've, we've really tried to prioritize them and whatever it is that they need. And if we've got any shit we need to deal with the two of us, then it's typically, you know, we all have our moments, but typically incidental like, is that the right word off to the side? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the focus. So, um, you know, I think that I'm lucky to have a, a co-parent partner that is willing to do that. And he is also, <laughs> Pat yourself on the back for That's that one. Right. Yes, I'm amazing. <laughs> so we wrap up all of our episodes with one simple, not so simple question. Yeah. Oh, you're like, yeah, I knew it was I coming. Knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Michelle, what gives you hope? You know, I think that the idea of more and more places and people operating with the idea of inclusion is really the thing that gives me the most hope that um, more and more often again when we can actually go out into the world I can take Kellen out into the world and he you know people don't stare necessarily and like why is he doing that weird thing or you know when he runs up to someone and says something totally inappropriate they can laugh at it rather than, you know, look at me like I'm crazy or mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just the more that we can promote those ideals, the easier it will be for everyone to feel like they belong. And that's, I don't know, that's my biggest hope for the world. And the fact that it's starting to kind of feel a little more like that gives me help. So it's amazing. Thank you for sharing your family and your story with us today. Thank you for having me on, you guys. I'm really enjoying the podcast and um, I'm glad you guys are doing this. So thank you. I really just love how we can sit here and have a conversation about inclusion and our hard days and what all of this journey looks like for each of us individually. I loved hearing about the school that they're part of. I love that no matter where we all are on this spectrum of disability, that we can all relate in some way, shape, or form. I mean, my children and her children are so very different, but she and I can sit here and still have a conversation and be like, I get that, I feel that, and thank you for saying that. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here. And we are, we're just so excited to connect with other podcasting moms. Y'all go check her out at the Prosecco Theory. Um, it is not a special needs podcast. It is very different. And it is one where you can grab a beverage and just sit back and enjoy the conversation with her and her friend. So this is Susan. And I am probably going to go spend some time listening to Michelle's podcast. And Diane is not actually recording this conclusion with me. So I'm going to spend... I'm going to speak on her behalf and say, this is Diane, and I am still suffering through the excessive heat wave that we are having in Minnesota, because it's like hotter in Minnesota than it is here in Virginia. So y'all have a good week, and we will catch you next time.
we know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.